Hey listeners, this podcast was recorded a few months before its release, so you might notice a few references that are slightly out of date. I hit record. (laughs) You don't hit record. What do you need to have record on for a podcast? (laughs) Seriously. It doesn't seem important or anything. It does not. Hello, and welcome to The Conversation with Susan and Whitney, the podcast where two friends from college discuss shared interests, insights, and how we're navigating our lives today. This is an ongoing conversation about how we're surviving and thriving. We discuss the important and the trivial and other fun topics in between. I'm Susan Field, a writer and teacher in Philadelphia. And I'm Whitney Gould, a writer and marketing director in New Hampshire. Whitney, you're the kind of friend who always recommends the best shows to watch. Thanks to you, I've just added Inventing Anna on Netflix to my watch list. And Susan, you're the kind of friend who invites me to a virtual book event where I got introduced to a new author that you've been enjoying for years. And that's why we're recording today's episode. That's right, Whitney. And I'm so happy to be here today talking to you. Um, the Olympics just came to a close yesterday, so I'm still sort of sleep deprived from hours upon hours of figure skating and late nights watching primetime coverage, sort of emotionally drained from all the highs and the lows, but I'm glad that we're having this conversation today. How was your weekend? We went ice fishing this weekend. Uh, It was the annual ice fishing derby where my cousin lives. So we had a lot of fun out on the ice, even though it was very cold and snowy and windy. So we were kind of tired and exhausted from (laughs) our adventures on the ice. And, uh, you know, just to boot, we didn't really catch any fish that were very big either. So it was just kind of a blustery, snowy day on the ice. Well, I love that. I went from watching ice skating this weekend and you had your own ice adventure. So this is very fitting. And Whitney, where is this ice fishing derby? So in New Hampshire, they have them in a lot of small towns, but the ice fishing derby that we usually go to is where my cousin lives in Washington, New Hampshire. So it's their town's um, ice fishing derby. It's apparently a thing that like all towns in cold areas do, I guess. Wow. I want to live in a town that has an ice fishing derby. (laughs) It sounds like fun. It sounds different. So that's really cool. Pun intended. On today's episode, we will be reviewing best-selling author Jody Picot's latest novel, Wish You Were Here. We are joined today by a special guest who also joined us in season one for episodes two and three, my sister, Devin Hamilton. Hello. Thanks for having me back again. Yay. We're so glad Devin's back. So back in December, the three of us attended a virtual book launch for Wish You Were Here, the book that we'll be talking about today. Following that event, we decided that we should all read the book and discuss it afterwards, and here we are. We should warn our listeners that there will be some spoilers in this episode, so if you are currently reading or plan to read this novel, you should wait until afterward to listen to this episode. Yes, we'll try our best to not ruin everything, but we'll definitely have to bring up some plot twists as part of our discussion, so continue listening at your own risk. All right, so let's get started. Here's a synopsis of the book from the Goodreads website so that you can get some background and context. From the number one New York Times bestselling author comes a deeply moving novel about the resilience of the human spirit in a moment of crisis. Diana O'Toole is perfectly on track. She will be married by 30, done having kids by 35, and move out to the New York City suburbs all while climbing the professional ladder in the cutthroat art auction world. 
She's not engaged just yet, but she knows her boyfriend, Finn, a surgical resident, is about to propose on their romantic getaway to the Galapagos days before her 30th birthday, right on time. But then a virus that felt worlds away has appeared in the city. And on the eve of their departure, Finn breaks the news. It's all hands on deck at the hospital. He has to stay behind. You should still go, he assures her, since it will be a shame for all of their non-refundable trip to go to waste. And so, reluctantly, she goes. Almost immediately, Diana's dream vacation goes awry. The whole island is now under quarantine, and she is stranded until the borders reopen. Completely isolated, she must venture beyond her comfort zone. Slowly, she carves out a connection with a local family when a teenager with a secret opens up to Diana despite her father's suspicion of outsiders. Diana finds herself examining her relationships, her choices, and herself, and wondering if when she goes home, she too will have evolved into someone completely different. All right, so that was the synopsis. I'm dying to know what are everyone's overall thoughts on the novel, and especially you, Whitney, because this is your first Jodi Pico novel. So what did you think? I really, really enjoyed it, Susan. I had not read any Jodi books before now, and I had only briefly uh, learned about Jodi whenever we attended the virtual book event. But it's obvious she did a lot of research in her books, as I think both of you had mentioned to me prior to us reading this together. And I really appreciated her writing style. I also really liked her approach to this topic. Um, she brought up many different angles to the pandemic that I wasn't anticipating. And it was it was great. What about you, Dev? Well, I just want to say that I've read several of Jodi Picot's novels. This will be my sixth. And so my expectations were high. I've enjoyed, enjoyed several in the past. But unfortunately, this title did not satisfy me as either a reader or a fan of Jody's. It, every book that you read, you need to have reader buy-in. You need to be able to buy what she's selling. And I did not buy what she was selling in any way. It felt inauthentic to me. It felt contrived. And I felt manipulated as a reader. And that's not a good feeling to have when you're trying to enjoy a story and learn something new. Ooh, Devin, those are some really powerful statements. <laughs> So tell us. And, no. and I just want to say, in that context, though, I am not in any way um, trying to beat down on Jody. I just I've read her material before, and I enjoyed it, and so that's what that's what made the fall from grace even harder for me with this material. So, what do you mean by being inauthentic? Um, I can't even remember some of the words you just manipulative. Used. Well, that one I remembered. You said inauthentic. I forget the other adjective that you used. But could you? Why did you think it was inauthentic? Like I don't understand where you're coming from. The characters, the storylines. I, I just, I didn't. They didn't seem to me like something that seemed real. Uh, the. <laughs> struggle. So, so Devin, question for you. So um, this was, a, I think, a quiz Susan and I took um, on Modern Mrs. Darcy. It was about our reading personalities. And I think that potentially your reading personality might be coming into play here a little bit is what I'm wondering. Yeah. So my reading personality is escapist. So I love to read things that aren't going to make me uh, stressed or thinking about um, anything sort of mentally taxing. That's like where I, my reading groove is. I'm mm -hmm. wondering if maybe you're not an escapist reader because 
I felt like this was a great book for an escapist reader. Well, I think every most novels have at least some element of escapism to them in order to draw in the reader. But for this, I, I I didn't feel the character development or the growth of the characters. Everything felt very one dimensional to me. Everything I had read before. Uh, a, a woman who has a perfect boyfriend mm. who's going to propose to her, who they live in a gorgeous apartment in the city, and she's got the job she's always dreamed of. But something just is missing. And she just doesn't go weak at the knees. And I don't know. I felt that there was like some some contrasts in the book that just didn't jive with me. That everything about Diana that she was experiencing was very first world problems. Mm -hmm. And then it was contrasted with the very real, very life-changing, serious life and death situation of the pandemic. And she's worrying about uh, not getting that zing in her heart when Finn walks into the room. It just seemed very artificial and just very um, surface level to me. And I was just trying to find a way to attach myself or invest myself in these characters. And I couldn't find a way in. Yeah, I understand what you mean about that being very like a cliche story. But I think that's cliche because that's real for a lot of people. Yes. I think a lot yeah. of people do have these first world problems or do have this perfect life, but they're missing something. And I think this whole experience was sort of a rude awakening to Diana that the things that made her life so quote unquote perfect aren't really the things that she truly wanted. I think that she realized her own life was inauthentic. That was not authentic to her. So I think right. that's part of the journey of the story was her kind of realizing what you kind of picked up on from the start. You know? And I totally get that, but I didn't, it didn't feel the execution of it was not effective for me. We've all read those stories, of course. Um, there's about 10 other books on the shelf I could pick up that would have a similar situation and a similar main character that ha would have those same types of life struggles. But I, as I said, I wasn't buying what she was selling. The execution of it didn't work. Jody mines these areas that are very familiar to the reader and the human heart and our and issues that we all face. But she always seems to find something special or something unknown to investigate that really latches you in. And that was not the case for me in this book. Interesting. I mean, I, I feel like I have lots of things I could say to specifically to your points, but I just want to say that like Whitney, I really enjoyed the book and I actually um, had trouble putting it down and I have trouble mm -hmm. finding time to read hard copy books. I usually do mostly audio. Um, but this book I, even though I have trouble finding time when I did find the time, I couldn't put it down. It was hard for me to stick to my bedtime. I just was like totally absorbed in the world of the Galapagos. And I, I was absorbed in Diana's plight, like her being stuck on this Island, trying to communicate with her family back in New York and sort of her drifting away from Finn and into the arms of somebody else. Like I really believed that. And I felt like I was in that world. And when, yes. he, when I finished this book, I felt like I had what Ann Bogle calls a book hangover. Um, and yes. Ann Bogle, again, of course, goes from the What Should I Read Next podcast, our favorite. Um, I just couldn't stop thinking about this book for days. And in fact, I'm still thinking about it. Same. I had a similar book hangover and it made me think about a lot of things that where I can see applications in my own life from Diana's story and from her time in the Galapagos. Yeah, it was just, it was fantastic. And it was, I think, for me, a good way to tell a pandemic story. 
Yeah. And Devin, I think I do agree with what you're saying on a lot of counts, but I feel like I liked the book anyway. <laughs> like I, I still picked up on those things. Right. I, I still was into it, but I, I really was, I guess what really drew me in the beginning was just the language. The descriptions were so vivid and intoxicating. I felt like I was there. I actually have an excerpt from the book here in front of me. I just wanted to share a couple sections from the book to um, show the vivid descriptions that Jody shares. And in fact, this is from pages 22 to 23. This is Diana's first view of the Galapagos as she's coming up on it from the water taxi. So here we go. The Galapagos are a collection of islands flung into the ocean like a handful of gems on velvet. They look, I imagine, the way the world did when it was newly born. Mountains too fresh to gentle into slopes, mist spitting in valleys, volcanoes unraveling the seam of the sky. Some are still spiky with lava. Some are surrounded by water. That's a dozy turquoise, some by a dramatic froth of waves. And then a little bit more time goes by and she describes, as we get closer, the mass of land differentiates into individual sensations, hot gusts of winds and hooting pelicans, a man climbing a coconut tree and tossing the nuts down to a boy, a marine iguana blinking its yellow dinosaur eye. Sliding up to the dock, I think that this could not be any more different than New York City. It feels tropical and timeless, lazy and remote. It feels like a place where no one has ever heard of a pandemic. So I just love that writing. I think it's beautiful and enchanting and it takes you away. I think one of my main issues with this novel is that it was almost too timely. That mm -hmm. it was not, the, the pandemic is not far enough in the past to seem fresh or intriguing as a piece of entertainment, as a mm -hmm. piece of an escape, or as an insight into an intriguing, intriguing topic. And that's always what I expect from a Jodi Picot novel. We all just live these events and are mostly still living them. Mm -hmm. And we're fresh in the aftermath of when this novel takes place. The COVID-19 pandemic has been one of the most widely covered primary topics of conversation and reporting in almost every outlet that you consume your information, whether it's every report I listen to on the radio station, every article I read in print or online. And it's everything we've talked about with our family and friends. The coverage has been in-depth and omnipresent. And so in order for this story to have a true impact on me, I was hoping that Picot was able to craft a pandemic story that possibly hasn't been as widely told as all of these other aspects were. And that's what I was really hoping for when we listened to the interview of Jody Picot. And she was saying that she had come across stories of people being quarantined or stuck in a place because of the sudden mm -hmm. border shutdowns going on across the globe. And she heard about people and researched and interviewed people extensively who were stuck in places that were not their home and they had to adapt and they had to find their own community in that type of completely unknown and bizarre situation. That was the story that I was hoping to come into. And I feel that the story for me had a bit of an identity crisis in that that was clearly an area of interest for her that she was trying to craft. But then she also comes into this other area of interest that she brings into it. And neither one felt whole to me. Neither one felt real enough or sorry. I couldn't hear what you <laughs> dimensional <laughs> enough for it to be um, satisfying to me as a reader. And for me to really feel like I could connect with the situation and come away with something something new and enriching. And that's what I expect out of an experience of any novel that I pick up. The original story that Jody seemed to be setting out 
to write, that was the story that I had never read about in the news. That was the story that was fascinating. And I wanted to hear more about it right away. But when she started crafting that story of the person being isolated, separated from her family in some place, not only far remote, but also a paradise in a sense, it never settled into it enough for me to feel that it was it was real or that it was um, an authentic experience that she was having. The the decisions that she was making as a character, the things that were happening on the island all seemed very contrived to me. And I was not able to, I just didn't believe it. I didn't believe what I was reading and it didn't seem like this is something that someone actually experienced. Okay, Dev. Well, I think there's a reason for that. Whitney, you sound like- yeah. Yeah. Something yes. I want to say the, probably the same thing that you want to say, but go ahead. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to bring up. I was like, I think that was intentional because of the huge twist in the story, right? Yes. Which yes. happens what about like two thirds of the way through the book? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So Diana wakes up to find out that she's actually not been to the Galapagos, mm-hmm. and that she has COVID and she's in the hospital. But she was having very, very vivid, lifelike dreams that she was there and she was um, having all of these experiences. And weirdly, where we we feel that Finn is emailing her, that is just Finn's voice when he comes to visit her in the hospital room. So I'm I understand what you're saying, Dev, that potentially you wanted somebody who was like stuck at a layover spot coming home from a business trip, maybe that was like foreign to them. Right. And that would have been a better story rather than like somebody on vacation in paradise. Like makes me think of no. like Chris, you wanted her to no, stay wanted, in paradise and have that relationship no, unfold. No, no? I, I felt that the whole thing just didn't seem to click into place the way that obviously we find out two of the two thirds of the way in or halfway through that it was a dream, but when she talks to other people who have experienced these intense dreamlike situations, everything felt to them very dimensional, very real, that they would never doubt it for a minute. But I was doubting it the whole time as a reader before that revelation even occurred. So for me, it just wasn't developed enough in the first place for me to settle in as a reader. That's interesting. I mean, I I think I was completely caught off guard that that happened. That was definitely one of the most mind-bending, mind-blowing twists. And I will say, Whitney, since you're new to Jody, she typically does throw in some kind of a huge bombshell. There is always some kind of a twist or the story's turned on its on end and you're you know thrown off as a reader. But I definitely did not see this one coming. However, I mean, I felt like Devin, where I was actually very disappointed that it did turn out that her dream was not real because I liked that world that she was living in. I liked the way her relationships were panning out. And I almost felt like probably the same way she did like heartbroken that she was ripped out of this world. Like I felt very unsettled and devastated and it did take me a while to ease into that. But I think what I did enjoy about that is that as I was reading what ended up unfolding is that I was learning something. Um, And especially at the author's note at the end, she was talking about how this whole concept of, COVID survivors on ventilators having these lucid dreams was sort of a topic that nobody was talking about, Devin, which is a story that hasn't been told. Jody explained in her author's note that she put out an all call on Facebook to collect COVID stories of survivors who had been on ventilators. Within an hour, she had received more than 100 responses. 
Uh, she wrote in the author's note, like Diana, nearly every person I interviewed experienced incredibly detailed lucid dream states. Some were snippets of time and others lasted for years. I found it fascinating that these dreams could mostly be categorized into four types, something involving a basement, an experience of restraint or kidnapping, a, a dead loved one reappearing or a loved one dying who, when the COVID patient returned to consciousness, was very much alive. There were all sorts of explanations for these lucid unconscious experiences. The bottom line is that we just don't know enough about the brain to understand why they happen and what they mean. I just found that fascinating because Whitney, going back to our reading personalities, I don't remember the exact term, but mine was reading to learn. So I was very fascinated by this and so clever. I thought how she had weaved this into the story. And yeah, even though I kind of wish that wasn't the case, it was very different and I've never read anything like that. Yeah, I had also never, ever heard of these lucid dream scenarios that COVID patients had gone through who had survived. So I thought that was fascinating to learn about, especially when she explained how many people had had these similar experiences. Like that just blew my mind a little. I will say, though, I thought the twist was going to be much more cliche than that. So there's a scene where Diana and Gabriel are out in the, the water and she essentially goes under and she gets caught in a riptide, I believe. And it feels like she dies, right? It feels like she goes under and she dies. And I thought, oh no, now they're going to have to call Finn and he's going to have to come down oh. because she's going to be hospitalized and like her little like Galapagos romance is over now. And then at the end, she's going to have to be like, she's going to be pulled between these two worlds and she's going to have to choose. That's honestly where I thought the story was going. Yes. That was my cliche prediction. So when it wasn't very close to that, I was very pleased. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. When that shift happened, it was definitely, I guess you could just describe it as a WTF moment. I literally was reading it and I was like, what in the actual hell is going on right now? And I yeah. continued to feel unsettled the rest of the novel because every page I was like peeking ahead. I was expecting her to then be flipped back into the Galapagos. I never, and I understand that maybe if that's what she was going through or that's what the author was trying to, the effect she was trying to create. I understand that her ideas and the things that she was bringing to the novel are fascinating, but the way it was all set up, it just didn't satisfy me as a reader. It just made me feel very irritated (laughs) of the way that she had constructed it. And I just, I was just frustrated with the whole situation. And I understand Diana was very frustrated too, but I wanted, it felt more like a cheap trick than a revelation to me. It didn't feel like an artistically crafted choice. It felt like, it just felt like a cheap trick. I know what you're saying, but I almost feel like by Jody having us feel this way, we are feeling the same things Diana is feeling. I think it's this interesting. If I cared about Diana, maybe it would make a difference. (laughs) She didn't really like Diana. Okay. Well, (laughs) I mean, at that point, after that happened, I was invested in what was going on. Um, you know, finding out that Diana really was having this lucid dream. And I did want to know what happened. I was, it was kind of unsettling for me too, but I just think Jody did this, this thing where we felt the same thing the character was feeling. I'm sure there's a technical term for that, but I don't know what it is, but yeah, I mean, I, we felt raw emotions, whether or not that's the emotion that you wanted to feel Deb. I do think that sometimes when we read books, 
they're too, they are too cliche and we're feeling like the same things for all the books. And this was, I feel like a different feeling and a different sensation. And in that way, it was very unique and did the job, I guess. It made you feel whether or not that was what you wanted to feel. Mm-hmm. It was powerful. Well, and Dev, it's interesting that you say you didn't like Diana. I didn't really think I liked her terribly a lot either, but that didn't stop me from having the the emotional pulls to the scenario. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that for me it was necessary for me to like really like her as much as I've liked other characters to still get so much out of this because you know, you might not know somebody very well who's going through something that can like impact your life, but you still feel the same thing. And that's kind of how I felt. Like I would never call Diana O'Toole like a book BFF or anything like, no, no. I I will say though, that I think, I don't know that she was supposed to be likable. Again, I think she was just this like, oh, this perfect person with this perfect life. But I think I became to like her more as she went through the struggles and as she moved towards her authenticity and as she stood up for herself and made choices that led her in the right direction and she followed her heart. And then I became more attached to her in the beginning. eh, I didn't have as much buy-in. And I understand, and I'm not saying you have to like every character you read. And by gosh, Jodi Picoult was trying her darndest to get you linked in. <laughs> the daughter who had the beloved relationship with her father, and she watched him die in her arms and then was left with the strained, battered relationship of her mother that she had to deal with. And the suicidal teenager who was keeping the secret from her estranged father and I mean she was doing everything she could to pull out all the stops to create an emotional investment Every trick in the book <laughs> but when it came down to it Diana didn't even have a physical description That's she true. was a shell of a of a person that I think Jody Picot was putting pinning too much on this character and she didn't have enough weight to do the real work mm. for me Obviously, this is my opinion that's very different from yours, but there wasn't enough there to um, make it, to give it weight. I I think, I didn't really like Finn that much. I mean, he did seem perfect, but uh, I didn't really like him as much. Like, he's the one that seemed artificial to me and their whole relationship. I didn't really... I didn't really dislike Diana. I'm not sure if I had a super strong feeling toward her either way, but again, my feeling was neutral. I didn't yeah. not like her. I just had no, I had nothing for her, no well, feelings. For like her. I said, the more that I felt her tapping into her authenticity, the more I liked her. Like when she was yes. connecting with Beatrice and she kind of got into this whole thing, talking about how um, the whole movement of turning garbage into art. And they were making these yes. different like, garbage sculptures on the beach. And I was like, Oh, that's also another thing I didn't know anything about. Um, so that was interesting to me. And, just and also when she started painting, she painted a scene on the back of that wardrobe, and I thought that was really cool. How she was actually a very talented artist, and she was using that as a way to tap back into her memories. And those are the moments when I liked her the most. I also felt the situation with her mother at the end of the book really helped humanize her to me much more than even those situations because I don't know what is harder than to reconnect with a dying parent who has essentially not really been a a factor in your life. Like you have no connection to build from in the beginning. And then you realize that you need to make it something meaningful because your time is running out. Like that I thought was very well done and felt authentic and real because again, 
It's not like they had the, you know, leave it to beaver family dynamic. And, you know, now her mother doesn't remember her. It's like her mother wasn't really around, was generally too busy for her. And then what do you do? What do you do in a scenario where where the parent you have left is the one that you don't have a connection with and the one that you're basically just like financially supporting until it all ends? I mean, that was that was a huge authenticity moment, I thought, for both Diana and for like, I think that's a real situation that people encounter a lot. And I don't think that people in that situation potentially navigate it as well as Diana figured out how to. Like, how do you make that situation something when it's kind of nothing, right? I think there were so many great stories that Jodi Picot wanted to tell, mm-hmm. whether it was the lucid dreams whether it was on boots on the ground, nitty gritty, what's going on in the hospital during the New York mm-hmm. shutdown right at the beginning of the pandemic, whether it's a woman trying to find her place in the in the career of her choice or find her true passion, mm-hmm. whether it was the father and his teenage daughter and their family dynamic, whether it was the isolated traveler trying to find a new community. These, I mean, I just listed about six different fully fleshed out novels that Jodie Picot could have done with this material. I think it was just, she had so much clearly, clearly this time in COVID gave her this opportunity to suddenly have, as she described in her interview, this creative burst that she said she's never experienced a novel flow out of her with such speed that this particular one did. And I can understand she's got about six ideas worth that could be fully fleshed out novels. But for me, there were too many strength. There were too many threads to be fully impactful, too many threads that weren't fleshed out enough to leave the impression that I think she truly wanted to. That's a good point. You're right that there was a lot going on, which I think maybe is one reason I've had the book hangover, so to speak, because we went through so many emotions. It was this up and down roller coaster. Like you said, it was really close to, I mean, COVID's not over. So it was still still very, very real. And it brought you back to that point when COVID first started. Um, I think you're right. There was the relationship with the mother, the whole relationship with the boyfriend, the whole thing with Beatrice. And she, um, she had some what Beatrice came out as gay and then she was cutting herself. Like those were several storylines just with that girl. Huge topics that could be. I I agree that I kind of felt, I kind of wish that she would have had more time to realize that relationship with Beatrice and Gabriel. And I did feel like we were a little bit cheated out of that Mm -hmm. reality because it was kind of sad that she left just as she was building these strong relationships. You're, You're right that I think she did try to like what, what's the saying? Um, she threw in every <laughs> pot. Than she put chew. every yeah. pot on the stove that she could at the same time, and they all yeah. of them were undercooked. For I, me. That's a, that is a good point. I guess I didn't really think of it from that perspective, but I I will agree about the storylines in the Galapagos. I really did feel like those were cheated, and I was sad that I wasn't going to know what happened to Beatrice mm-hmm. and what was going to happen with Gabriel. So. But, but again, I feel like we felt sad just like Diana was feeling. So in that way, it was very effective as a writing technique because we were on that emotional journey with the character, which then helped me connect to her. I knew how I was supposed to feel <laughs> and I knew how the author wanted me to feel, but I didn't, I couldn't okay. get there. Okay. That's fair. What about you, Whitney? Did you yeah. get there? You did, right? 
I did get there and I I got there in ways that I wasn't anticipating. Um I don't know if we want to pivot into my philosophical yes. thoughts now. Pivot away with um, <laughs> um so for me the pandemic what like in my own life has been eye-opening in several ways. Like there have been big changes, there have been um big questions in my head like how we were living prior to the pandemic clearly had some flaws and there were some improvements to be made. Right. And I feel like during COVID there were things that we prioritized in our own lives that maybe we hadn't taken the time to prioritize before we were prioritizing, you know, getting out and exercising, spending time with people that we were close to, like uh, trying to connect with people that weren't close to us physically in other ways. You know, there were, there were a lot of changes that we were making. We were slowing down a little bit. And I think that for me, this book just kind of brought out a lot of those ideas again. And I was going to go through and just pick some of the quotes that kind of resonated this message for me on page 304. So it's when uh, Diana and Finn have gone to the park and he is like doing this, like the saddest proposal on earth, right? Where you're like, no one believes you really still want to do this. Why are, Why did you even bring the ring with you? Like she's, she's not into it. You're not into it. Just call it what it is. But one of the lines in there that I feel really kind of resonated with me and with the idea of rethinking our own lives in light of the pandemic was you may not be able to choose your reality, but you can change it. And I thought that was powerful because, you know, a lot of us are are doing things that we're supposed to do or that we think we're supposed to do. Like I currently live in New Hampshire, which, by the way, is the uh, home state of Jody Pico. So I learned that uh, on the virtual book event. But we live here because we moved here for a job and my husband's job that we moved here for is now permanently remote. So where do we live now? Like where we can choose this. It, our reality has changed and now like there are more possibilities, right? And then ask anyone who's nearly died, you should live in the moment. Unfortunately, that's impossible. Every moment keeps slipping past. I felt that so hard <laughs> during this pandemic, right? We're supposed to live in the moment, but what is the moment really? Like what is the moment? It's not like this big um, movie style epiphany moment. It's like every day can be a moment. So another thing, this is maybe potentially the most resonant for me. Bucket lists aren't important. Benchmarks aren't important. Neither are goals. You take the wins in small ways. Did I wake up this morning? Do I have a roof over my head? Are the people I care about doing okay? You don't need the things you don't have. You only need what you've got and the rest, it's just gravy. To me, I thought that was like basically the the philosophical soul of the book for me like that's that's where I ended up yes I like that you point out that this book did take take us back to when the pandemic first hit and you're right we did start making changes and living life differently and we were inside and you had to reassess and reprioritize yes that was a really important time for me during the pandemic I was able to reprioritize I started working out with Devin doing beach body while we were not working out together because we live in different states, but we were <laughs> both doing it virtually. And I feel like I was taking care of myself so much more. I had so much more time to rest. You're right. I was reconnecting with people. And I felt that since now, you know, the pandemic, it's still going on, but it's lesser or we've learned to deal with it since it's the new normal. 
now some of those lessons have slipped away and not because I want them to slip away, but just that life is picked up at a fast speed again. Mm, And it's really, really tough to not get lost in that fast speed. And I absolutely have. So I need to take a step back and make changes, but it, it is a good reminder to remember that we should slow down and we should not forget the lessons that we learned during that time. So I'm glad you're bringing it up because I did think that as I was reading the book, but um, I think the pandemic really put things into perspective and it's important to not lose that. Well, and it's, it's so funny how quickly we returned to the old normal, right? Yes. As soon as things started yes. opening up again, it's like, we, we just like all of that went out the window and it's almost like we don't remember those, those lessons anymore. Even though we were seemed happier before. And you know what it is? It's because when things are so fast, you don't have time to reflect and to remember because you're so, as you say, like caught in the moment, but the moment is like lightning fast as opposed to being sort of this more like slow, like luxuriating in the moment type of thing. Um, I think if we had a little more time to just slow down and reflect, well, we have to make that time. And then we are able to remember those priorities. Yeah. It has to be very intentional. That's right. What's There's a famous quote, you can't see your reflection in running water. I think of that a lot and I can't see my reflection right now. Right. So we need to slow down and uh, look in the still pond. Yes, the still pond, not the running water. The still mm-hmm. pond, that's right. Or the frozen over pond if you live in a town with a annual ice derby. So yes. ice fishing derby. <laughs> exactly. Well, I will say that I also, as I pointed out before, I just really enjoyed the language that she used, just the way that she writes and the vivid descriptions. Um, There was a couple other ones that I had written down in my phone, actually. I keep book quotes in my phone because sometimes I share them with my students because I I like to point out examples of good writing. There were just two that I liked, and they were both descriptions from the Galapagos. One of them that I liked was a description of the flamingos. She writes, flamingos blush, walking on water, the cursive loops of their necks forming secret messages as they dive for shrimp. I thought that was such a creative image, the cursive loops of their necks. I love that. And then another one, Diana describes her experience on the island and experience saying, I find myself on the other side of the mangrove thicket, staring at a twin lagoon. In this one, the water is almost magenta. And in the center, a sandbar rises like an oasis. On it, a dozen flamingos stand folded like origami as they dip their heads into the pool to feed. I just thought that was beautiful. Very beautiful. And I don't think I could have written as well. So bravo to Jody. I guess one quick thing to sort of come to the end of this is what are your thoughts on the ending? I think I like the ending. I wanted more, but now I'm curious what the two of you think. Devin's about to go. I'm not going to burst. I'm just saying I I got to the end of the book and I had been pushing so hard to get to the end because I had wanted to stop reading far earlier. Oh, and side note, Devin doesn't usually read this fast. Like I'll give Devin a book. Like she's still reading a book Mm -hmm. I gave her three years ago. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I'm done with the book. And I'm like, wait, what? What about the other books I've given you? So I was, I wasn't sure if you read with lightning speed because you enjoyed it. Now I find out she read so fast because she was pushing through. So there is a distinction. (laughs) Yes. I read this book very quickly. I was I read through it in a couple of days, which is an extremely fast pace for me mm-hmm. as a slow reader. Um, but when I got to the end of the book, I just said, I said, dear Lord, if this is the story that Jody's really chosen to tell, then let this man just be real. Let Gabriel be real. Let her find this refuge again, because if this mm-hmm. is where she's going, well, then let's just let one of these story threads 
feel complete in some way. So for me, I, I hope, I hope she's in the Galapagos with Gabriel. I hope she is because then that would feel like something about the novel was completed in some shape, way, shape or form. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And at the very point that I finished it, I was like, so like, I couldn't tell if I was upset that she didn't like tie it up with a bow or okay that she didn't tie it up with a bow because then like we can kind of take it wherever we wanted it to go. But wouldn't it be great because we know Gabriel is real, right? His tour company is real. Like she discovered, even though she felt that she like created him in her mind, that he is a real person in Diana's world. So um, I'm wondering if this was potentially a setup for another book that explores a different topic and maybe she would, she doesn't normally return to the same characters, right? That's not a thing she does. She's never done a sequel that I know of. Yeah. I would love that. I, I never thought about that with me. That's yeah. I don't know if that's something she would do, but I could, we can hope <laughs> I would enjoy that, but it think- could be the reason for the six different, you know, things she brought up because maybe this is like, a, she's going to continue them. I don't know. I think at the end, I am very hopeful that it would be Gabriel, but I mean, I I would love that because that's, I feel like I became so invested in that relationship and really felt like that was the relationship for her, a more authentic fit. But I think even if it wasn't really Gabriel, maybe she's finding someone who's like her Gabriel, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's real, her Gabriel, like in quotes, like she could still find that relationship she's supposed to have because I got the sense that this was, this was fate. Like she was experiencing this life that she's supposed to have. And yeah. And she finally goes back to the Galapagos. So the hope is that she can have that life, meet someone who's like Gabriel and have a similar situation. But I would feel happy if it was really Gabriel, but I guess it's up to us to have our own interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess really it can't, if she created Gabriel out of the shell of knowing that his agency's, his travel agency's name and the name, of him that she saw in the book, I guess there's no actual way or is there, is she hinting that he could actually be the personality of Gabriel? I don't know, but that's one of the things I love the ending though, how it ended with the hand reaching out to her saying cuidado, just like how when she first met Gabriel, I love the way that came full circle. It kind of was those moments. I was like, (gasps) like it just catches you in the heart. So I did enjoy that, even though obviously I was like, no, don't end yet. Like I'm yearning to know what actually happens. Sometimes I hate when it ends on those cliffhangers because Mm -hmm. I I really want the closure, but at the same time, it's nice that we can have whatever closure that we want. Cause I'm sure each reader might want something different as, as experienced or as witnessed here (laughs) in this conversation. Does she ever is, is using a cliffhanger a tool that Jody does? I don't know. I, I think, think she has. Is different. I will say the plot twist definitely is. There's always some kind of a bomb that turns everything on its end. She has done in some other stories. I'm thinking particularly of My Sister's Keeper, where in the last chapter, something happens mm. and it's a shocker and you never quite see or experience the aftermath of it. But you, but it has, it happens right near the end. And I think I've heard that I never saw My sister, my Sister's Keeper, the movie, but people have told me that it was changed from the book. So whatever that big last bomb drop that she does in her book was not incorporated into the Hollywood script. I'm guessing because it doesn't 
fit with the Hollywood happy ending that everyone's expecting as a viewer. So she does have some unexpected things at the end. I don't think she's quite ever done it, cut it off practically mid-sentence as this one is, or mid-conversation as this one is about to be. But I'm not sure, but I mean, you know, she can change her techniques. (laughs) She can do something different. That's why why I'm wondering, because she was talking about the, the burst of creativity and how quickly she wrote the book. I'm wondering, does that mean something else is happening that she wouldn't normally do? Like, is she writing a two book story or a trilogy or like, is she going in a different direction than she's ever gone before? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. That would be interesting. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I have a question for you too, about the way that the story was executed in that the sort of has, as I would refer to them as sort of information dumps that Mm. were basically the emails of Finn getting these emails. And it was just page. It was basically an information dump. I've experienced this before in reading sci-fi novels in that there's some crazy technological concepts that really are hard to sort of work into a flowing narrative. So then there's like sort of an information dump dump chapter and then the, plot structure continues. And I felt that way with this book, that these emails were just sort of these information dumps. And then when you find out their conversations, you're like, okay, well, I guess that sort of works. But then when you were in the Galapagos world, I was thinking to myself, like, there's literally a landline upstairs, and you've still been relying on postcards that you give to a teenage girl that you just met who says that she knows the ferryman who's going to give them to the post office. (laughs) And then really, if Finn was coming to visit you, his beloved, every day in the hospital, and he was sitting by your side thinking you were going to die, is he really going to go through every bit of minutia of his day? Isn't he not going to be possibly talking about something a little lighter to his comatose girlfriend? I don't know. The whole thing, that part for me yeah. didn't work. It just felt like information dumps that could have been somehow, they were just part of a another story that could have been fleshed out more in a different way in a totally different novel than this really was. When you say it that way, I kind of get what you're, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I didn't love those parts and mostly just because it's uncomfortable to read about because it like, it's so fresh. And I, of course I'm not an ER doctor. I don't know what exactly they're experiencing, but it was just difficult to hear about all the things going on in the beginning of COVID. But didn't you feel like you read about those in every article that you picked up? Yes. Not every, not some of the things, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I don't know. I have that a also didn't endear me to Finn because I was like, I don't know anything about his personality, you know? Well, yeah. they didn't allow him to be fully yeah, he didn't shaped have, because they were gonna yeah. dump she was dumped dumping him. Right. I mean, so, because, yeah. so I have a different take on Finn's emails. So healthcare workers were completely like mentally and emotionally overwhelmed. Yeah. And then he has on top of that. He he clearly feels guilty that he's the one who brought COVID home to Diana, right? So I think those were his, like, mental health breaks, kind of. Um, And he didn't know she could hear them, but they just said, talk to her. And he was just, like, brain dumping, literally, all of his uh, concerns and all of the things that he couldn't say to his patients, right? Because you can't say to your patients, like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Like, everybody's dying. You know, he could say it to her. She was like a safe place because he wasn't sure she could hear him. And then also, you know, like he just needed to get it out, I think. 
you know, yeah, so I that's really get that. That's true. I did like how he ended up with that nurse at the end, the one that made the masks. I can't remember her name. It was like, oh, maybe it was like Athena or something. I don't know. I'm probably off on that. I, but I, I, liked, an a. I, I liked the way that that worked out for him. Just on a side note, I think everybody ended up with the person they were supposed to be with or the life they were supposed to have, which was nice. So how would you all rate this novel on a Goodreads scale of one to four? So Devin, I know you don't use Goodreads, but Whitney and I do. And after we read a book, we have to rate on this scale. What star rating would you give? For me, maybe two, two and a half out of four. I think I did give it a four on my Goodreads because I was so compelled. Every time there's a book that I can't put down, I tend to lean toward giving it a high rating, even if maybe it's not perfect or the way I wanted it to end. What about you, Whitney? So I think Goodreads is one to five, and I oh, definitely gave this. Well, then and this I gave this Susan and Whitney scale of one, to, one four. to four. So on the on the Goodreads scale of one to five, I gave it a four for the same reasons that you were saying, Susan. So yeah. I would probably give it a three, three and a half, then out of four. Right. Okay. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Susan and Devin, you two have read several other Jody books. How does this novel stack up against the others you've read? Yeah, this one's different than the others I've read. So it's kind of like hard to equally compare them. I mean, actually, all of her books feel like completely different entities. I read Plain Truth in that one. It was the first one of hers that I read. And it's also my favorite and just one of my favorite books in general. It's just fantastic. Leaving Time was another one I really enjoyed. That one also had a big bomb drop moment in it. I like The Storyteller. That was a World War II story. Um, the Book of Two Ways, that was her most recent one that I listened to on audio. It came out in 2020. I enjoyed that one. And I did start to read one of her books called Harvesting the Heart, but I can't remember why, but I abandoned that one. So for some reason that didn't connect with me. But yeah, last night, Dev and I were talking about how if you read descriptions of her books, you won't want to read them because <laughs> they deal with such painful, difficult topics. You read the description. You feel like, hesitant. Oh, I don't want to read that. <laughs> like, I don't want to get into it. But once you do, you're glad you did because she has this gift for humanizing these dark, uncomfortable topics in ways that make them more accessible. And she's so gifted at telling these intricate stories of the human heart. So I guess to circle back to how does this stack up? I I don't think it was my favorite, but it was definitely one that makes me think. And I, I think that I would talk about it with other people. Uh, it's it's not one that I'm going to forget. Uh, yes, my first Jodi Picot novel was The Pact. I had read it, I started reading it at my aunt's house over Thanksgiving holiday from college. And I picked it up and was completely sucked in. Jody uses a technique that she does in most of her novels where each chapter Mm -hmm. is narrated by a different person. So you get all these different Mm -hmm. views of the same story. And so the pact was about it. It was a teenage love story that ended up in a suicide pact. And it really, I was like young and, emotional to really get sucked into it. It was one of the first books I ever stayed up late to finish. My aunt mailed it to me because <laughs> I had, she saw had, that I had started reading it and then I left her house the next day. So she mailed it to me and then I finished it. Um, and that was, I really enjoyed that. I wonder, I don't revisit books very often. And I feel like that might be one of the books that if I revisit, it might not hit me the same way as it did of my college, mm-hmm. emotional, uh, yes. exhausted um, <laughs> that was the season for you to self, read that book. Yes. Um, but so that was a good one. I, I started off on a high note f- with Jody Picot's work with that novel. And I would say after several others, my favorite was also Plain Truth. Jody found mm-hmm. a story 
not commonly told within the Amish community. She brought a whole world that's sort of alien to most people. And she fleshed it out that it felt real and you felt invested and you felt connected. And that really was a powerful story. So that is one that when someone asks me about Jodi Picot, I always usually go straight to that book. Yes, I would definitely recommend you read that, Whitney. So Whitney, as a new reader of Jodi's books, what are your thoughts about her writing? And does this inspire you to pick up her other books? So I would say, yes, I this book did inspire me to look into some of her other books. I do agree with you that the descriptions of her books aren't what gets me. Honestly, after I read the description of this book, even though I'd already said I would go to the event with the two of you and get the book, I was kind of like, wait, am I going to like this? But I did. I really did like it. And I really appreciate the research that she put into this book. And I know that you all have said that that's one of the things that you really appreciate about her writing in general. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what else she has written that might connect with me. Plain Truth, obviously, I, I, I'm going to have to read because the two of you speak so highly of it. So I don't know if that will be my next one, but I did see what my library has on ebook and audiobook just to peruse through their offerings. And going off of what you said about the descriptions and how, yes, they're very, the descriptions are emotional just to read sometimes because you can just, you feel your body tense up with the topics that she is addressing. And you just don't know if you want to go down that route as a choice of enjoyment. But I would say that maybe that's one of the reasons that I was thrown off a bit with this book in that I felt that I was being sold a different story than what she was actually trying to tell. And so I just was never, I never found my footing in it because it was something different than what was sort of sold to me. So I think that's, yeah. that's what some of the manipulation, when I talked about at the beginning, feeling manipulated, I think maybe it, it could just be the case of like some, st- some movies have trailers and then you watch the trailer and then you see the movie and you're like, that trailer was com- a complete um, misrepresentation of what the movie's actually about, but it's what the person, the media person puts forth that they think is going to draw you in. So I think that was part of the imbalance for me that I was sold something that was different from what Jody was really trying to achieve with her story. I could see that. And I'm, it's good for me to know that I should give a book a try if it's a Jody book, even if I'm not connecting with the description. Okay. So any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? I potentially want to go to the Galapagos someday now. Yes, yes me too. So um, what is everybody reading right now? Now that we're done with Wish You Were Here. So I am currently reading A Marvelous Light um, by Freya Marsk, which is the first book in a series called The Last Binding. It's like a 20s Gatsby, Downton era fantasy. It has magic. Never heard of that. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. That's been highly recommended. So I'm finally getting around to it. It's really entertaining so far. And I'm also reading The Last Letter from Your Lover by Jojo Moyes on my Kindle. What about you, Dev? I'm reading a book called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. It's a Hugo award-winning best series novel. I heard it recommended by someone who was doing an NPR book review Um, And so I gave it a shot and I'm really enjoying it. It's about um, a hodgepodge crew of 
alien <laughs> aliens and humans that are part of um, a spaceship craft called the Wayfarer, and they're on a journey to a planet to complete some sort of drilling project that they do for their their job. And it's just all about the different characters on the ship and their interactions with each other and their home worlds. And it's really fascinating. And it's really, it's really entertaining. Wow. That's interesting. You, you both have books that are so outside the box for me. Mm -hmm. I'll have to give some of those a try. So this was really fascinating. I love this conversation that we had, especially interesting that we all had, at least Devin had such vastly (laughs) different views, but I appreciate all the points that you both brought up. So thanks for joining us today, Devin. It's always wonderful to have you as a guest. Well, thank you so much for listening to my thoughts on the book. And I will say that it's uh, kudos to Jody Picot for providing us the type of novel that is interesting enough to even be able to have this type of Mm -hmm. in-depth conversation. So that's what, uh, an English teacher of mine always used to say, if you don't give me anything to work with on the page, then your work is junk. But if you at least give me something that I have a plethora of comments and critiques of, you're giving me something to jump, a jumping off point. So I think Jody, even though for me, I didn't care for the material, she certainly gave, gave me enough uh, food for thought to discuss with you ladies. And I truly enjoyed it. Absolutely. Join us next time when we pick up where we left off and continue the conversation. Check us out on Instagram at Susan and Whitney or send us an email at susanandwhitney at gmail.com. That's S-U-S-A-N, the word and, W-H-I-T-T-N-E-Y. Our awesome music is by Offshane and our scripting and editing is by us. Talk Talk to you later. later. Yay, I think we did a good job.